Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Today is October 9th, 2020. The Coconuts Podcast is your home for top trending news and pop culture from all across Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Summer Lee. And I'm Byron Perry. What's up, Byron? I'm so busy. I'm swamped oh. with this Asia City BK Magazine soy milk uh, integration. Oh, but yeah, it's great. that's happened. Mm-hmm. And, and you still took the time out to come on the podcast again? That's yeah, nice. I had to fill in for Vim because he not, he's uh, on his private investigator course. So <laughs> I assume he's like in a trench coat um, mm. practicing recording people from afar with like one of those recording sound recording guns. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's like what you do at private investigator um, school? Yeah, that's probably it, right? I mean, like he already knows how to handle a boom mic, I'm assuming. So now he's just taking those talents further. Yeah. I would imagine it's just an right? extension of surreptitiously recording people. Mm-hmm. What did he say about go, um, doing the course last week? I missed that. Did he talk about like what the course entails and and yeah, what did he say? Oh no, we did talk about trench coat too. So <laughs> I did tell him not to go near playgrounds. I think that was go, my, go my gadget TV. mode. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm not sure. Well, anyways, guys, yeah, I've been busy, and um, for the time being, I will not be continuing to host the Coconuts podcast as I am very, very swamped with integrating um, BK Magazine and Soy Milk with Coconuts. Uh, We acquired them in September, uh, acquired the assets of um, Asia City Media Group in Thailand, including BK Magazine, Soy Milk, which is their um, Thai language what to do lifestyle food and drink and movies and culture uh website um bk magazine for those who don't know is the leading english language lifestyle magazine in bangkok really the bible for where to go and eat where to go and party um travel uh whatever is cool in bangkok bk magazine is covering it so there's a lot of great synergies i'm really excited about being involved with the print magazine again um, that's one thing that we're working on is the production of the print magazine, um, integrating our sales teams and our agency teams and our editorial teams. So um, I'm just too dang busy to do the, do the podcast, but it's all very good and exciting. Yay. I heard there's a giant soy milk sign now in the Bangkok office. That must be fun. There is. <laughs> I don't know where it is. It's really giant. It's like six mm-hmm. feet wide, I think, mm-hmm. and maybe like three feet tall. I love it. So it's very cool. Um, I know you love the Bangkok office summer. You're probably itching to get up there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're itching for me to bring truffle chips over. Yeah, it's a whole thing. They can just get their own truffle chips, can they not? Mm -hmm. Or actually, you know, to be fair, (laughs) random like um, anything that's like imported is going to be way more expensive full stop in Mm -hmm. Thailand than Singapore. And I assume the truffle chips are not like they don't dig those truffles up in Singapore, do they? (laughs) I have no idea, but these ones are apparently local. And now that our Bangkok office people have like grown a taste for it, it's like I can't show up anymore without the truffle chips. So yeah, I know where I stand. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should bring those tofu skin chips. Those things are awesome. Oh yeah. Did you oh discover gosh. those or was that somebody else who brought those into the office? Or did oh, they no, just think, send them to us? I think they sent it sent it to us and then like we just like, you know, finished the first mala packet in four seconds. Yeah. They're super good. Yeah. Hi. The snack innovation game here in Singapore is is pretty off the charts. Although in Thailand, it's good too, I have to say. Mm, for sure. With all your different flavors of Lay's. What? 
so many different flavors. Yeah, they have like the uh, Tom Yum Goong slash Larb or something like that flavors. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, enough about snacks. Let's talk about the top stories of the week um, as we do. First of all, from Yangon, we have um, a bit of a disturbing story about a commercial that featured men leering at a woman's breasts. Um, Directed by 35-year-old singer Yeon Lei, a.k.a. Little Rabbit, the recent spot for Me Star Flip Flops has been slammed for depicting three men who criticize a young woman's outfit until she puts on a tight skirt and bikini top, after which they spend several minutes staring at her cleavage, as do the, we, the viewers, thanks to numerous close-up shots. One Burmese actress, May To Kine, said, I despise this kind of funny video. This shows that it can be acceptable to harass women in our society. Oops. Boo! This is very, um, okay, let's go podcast, you know, like, for the Singaporeans that are listening. You know, there's those, like, people in a podcast but just sitting around, like, dissing the guests. Leering at women. Yeah, what? Yeah, horrible. Yeah, they didn't get the message that this type of stuff is not cool anymore, I suppose. Um, Mm. I watched the video a bit, and um, the sound quality is also terrible, and the production quality. Um, Mm. So that's another strike against this dang sexist commercial. Mm-hmm. And yeah, over in Bali, more sad news. Uh, thousands more workers in Bali were furloughed in two months, according to an official. More than 3,000 workers in Bali were furloughed between August and September as the COVID-19 pandemic continues to take its toll on the province's tourism-dominated economy. We are expecting mm. this number to continue rising as long as Bali's economy has yet to recover, said Ida Bagus Nura Arda, who heads Bali's manpower agency. Yeah, the latest official data brings the total number of workers followed in Bali to 76,940, with 3,024 having reportedly been laid off during the pandemic. And yeah, it's likely that the numbers are much higher as many informal workers may not have been accounted for. And meanwhile, 532 companies have shut down operations since the onset of the coronavirus uh, outbreak in Badung alone. And yeah, I don't know, it's just havoc everywhere. Thanks Yikes. to Ms. Rona. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that. You said the numbers was like 70-something thousand that have been furloughed, but only 3,000 mm-hmm. laid off? During the pandemic, yeah. Yeah. So it must be like, there must be some um, reason that furloughing makes more sense, maybe legally, than um, laying people off. But mm. regardless, it's terrible that so many dozens of, uh, thousands of people are out of work, basically. Mm-hmm. Um Bali, it just seems, has been nonstop bad news in terms of tourism and the economy and it really seems like the epicenter of covid in indonesia which has been hard hit in general mm-hmm. and of course like that that last mcdonald's uh branch that's iconic you know closed down last even that's a victim yeah. very sad that's sad. one of those well you guys spoke about this last week i did hear that where it's one of those mcdonald's that um Every city or place has that crazy McDonald's that's like never mm. boring and has a bunch of crazy shit that constantly goes down in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think the Kuta McDonald's in Bali was that, but I guess it's no longer. Mm-hmm. Say it's tough. Well, anyways, um, moving on to the Philippines and speaking of quarantine and shutdowns and COVID, 
Um, Pinoy music fans were pleasantly surprised today when singer Janine Berdeen showcased her new look, which may have included a little cosmetic surgery. So what that has to do with COVID is that she had kind of, I think, gone out of the limelight during the pandemic, and then she kind of popped up on social media um, looking quite different. I'm looking right here at the before and after photos. And um, yeah, I think this is kind of uh, embracing uh, plastic surgery uh, and being public about it, saying, if I want to go ahead and uh, go under the knife, I'm going to do it confidently, and um, this is the new me. Uh, yeah, that's the message I'm taking away from this. I love it. She looks good either way, like just the before and after. So, like, good for her. Look at your purple hair, ma'am. It looks amazing. Yeah. She said, when you're not happy with yourself, it would show. I saw in my old posts and my old videos, I can see how self-conscious I was. Now, when I look at my photos now, I look at all the videos I take, I look happy. Oh. Okay. Well, we have- it's a little bit weird, but um, I guess more power to you. That you mm-hmm. were great before, and now you do look a bit different, and and I guess some would say better. But um, whatever makes you happy, I suppose. Do you, sis? We have no choice but to stand. Yes, you do. You and the mm-hmm. purple hair is cool. Thumbs up. So cool. But yeah, over in Hong Kong, bit more sad news because there was one dead in Sim Shui. Um, and that was because of a bar fight after the staff told customers that the pub was closing at midnight. Oof. But yeah, so... Um, yeah. Don't play. Mm-hmm. According to Apple Daily, a group of around 20 customers were not happy about being asked to depart from the Austin Road Bar. And yeah, uh, uh, just for those who don't know, under social distancing restrictions, bars must cease operating at 12 a.m. And yeah, then the customers used bottles to attack four bar workers, outnumbering them and knocking one unconscious. <laughs> And the 36-year-old sustained serious head injuries and leakage of cerebral fluid. And Jesus, paramedics, one of the bar workers? Yeah, dude. So it was like they got killed for shutting down the bar. Yeah, yeah dude. And the, yeah, and the paramedics who reported to the scene rushed him to the hospital, but he died before receiving emergency treatment. And the customers fled before police arrived, so. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, not much to say about that other than. RIP to the guy who was just doing his job and trying to close the bar at the right time. Mm-hmm. And let's Not get sure. the bastards who killed him. Yep. This retaliation like against like service workers is just so annoying. It's like we, we're still having a pandemic in case y'all don't know, but... Dang. Yeah. It seems... I'm not sure if... I could just be totally talking out of my ass here, but it seems like there's been um, more violent crimes than usual in Hong Kong. Hmm. Have we been discussing more crimes than usual in Hong Kong on the podcast? Or I have no idea. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think let's just move on because I'm not 100% sure. But just at least okay. on coconuts, I've seen, um, yeah, there seems to be a, a bit more lately. But anyway, moving on to Indonesia, um, where uh, there was a Shawshank Redemption-esque escape from an Indonesian prison by a Chinese inmate who dug a tunnel over eight months and as far as I can tell is still escaped. So he just went Shawshank on him and dug this tunnel and um, he's gone and he's gone. (laughs) Um, Yeah. According to the story, authorities in Indonesia are on the hunt for a Chinese inmate whose prison escape came straight out of the playbook of Andy Dufresne in the movie Shawshank Redemption. 
Although in that movie, it took 19 years, if you remember. Uh, hmm. This guy, it took him eight months. Uh, so de <laughs> death row inmate Chai Kai Cheng Pan, who was sentenced to death for drug trafficking, was declared missing from his cell at a prison in Tangerang on Monday. Upon searching his cell, prison officials found on the floor an entrance to a 30-meter-long tunnel that led all the way to a sewer. The 53-year-old managed to hide the 1.5-meter tunnel entrance with his bed. <laughs> Every night, he worked on the tunnel from 10 p.m. to 5 a.m., said Jakarta Metro Police spokesman. Looking at it, he would move his bed and dig the tunnel, and afterwards, he would cover the entrance with the bed. He did that for eight, eight months. And then yeah. CCTV footage even captured the moment that he emerged from the sewer. <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. This truly is Shawshank X. Okay, I got to watch this right now. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if he did that. Do you remember that scene in the movie? Oh, no, man. I was so have young you when I watched it? it. I have, but I was so young that I don't remember it. I think Damn. he has to crawl through an actual sewer full of sewage for something like quite a long time. I don't remember. And then when he comes out, he's like in a rainstorm and he's on his knees in the rain, just like, yeah, <laughs> hands in the air. So this doesn't look exactly like that, but wow, they got the escape moment. He's yeah, just like running down the alley. You got a victory walk too. And like, I really want to know, cause like we see all these like movies and TV shows where, you know, uh, you kind of have to do like, make a shiv out of a plastic spoon or something. So like, what do you use to dig? I want to know. This is like a successful art project, I would say. Yeah, probably some sort of shiv or makeshift shovel-esque tool is what I would guess. Mm -hmm. Eight months, wow. Crazy. Yeah. And over in KL, speaking of artists. <laughs> but yeah, this fuck politics banner in Ipoh pretty much captures Malaysia's mood right now. Yeah, you got to see this banner. It's just on this pedestrian bridge leading to the Bainun Hospital in Ipoh. And yeah, as Malaysians begin to blame politics for the country's recent spike in COVID-19 cases, pedestrians in the town Ipoh Perak seem to have an appropriate response. But yeah, a photo of one Ipoh banner spray-painted with the words Fuck Politics 317 Cases in Bahasa Melayu trended online yesterday evening, though it has since been removed. And of course, the 317 cases refers to the number of new COVID-19 infections recorded Saturday in Malaysia. And the surge came in the midst of elections in pandemic-ravaged Sabah, where thousands of new infections have been locked since late last month. Malaysia has counted 12,381 COVID cases since the outbreak began, and yeah, the death toll is also at 137. And some, like the Ipoh Street Bridge artists, blame politicians who spread the virus by refusing to isolate themselves immediately after flying into West Malaysia from Sabah. People flying in from Sabah are, of course, encouraged to undergo the standard self-quarantine of 14 days upon return. Hmm. And yeah, this is just another thing where, you know, politicians just don't do the thing they're encouraging the people to do. They love to do that, don't they? Mm-hmm. Everybody do this, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. Y'all have to do it, but I don't have to because I'm special. At least Trump, the super spreader, doesn't do that. <laughs> he says, I'm going to do it. You do it. Don't wear a mask. Everybody go nuts. <laughs> oh, God. This dude. <sighs> Can't believe we gave him our antibodies. Bullshit. I did see that. Yeah, some Singaporean antibodies were used on Trump's treatment. Damn it. And what? We didn't, we didn't like put, it, put something in it. I was thinking mala spice, but that's just I was me. hoping that was a Sabo operation, as I said. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll see. Anyways, um, that was our number three story of the week, um, the fuck politics banner in EPO. Number two most popular story of the week was a quarantine dispatch. Um, 
Basically, the story was titled Quarantine Dispatch After Six Surprise Months Abroad, My Costly Journey Back to Thailand. And it was a first-person story by Lopsang Dundup Sherpa Subirana, who wrote about his um, expensive and arduous journey back into Thailand. I'll just read an excerpt from the beginning. The room is spacious and habitable. There's a television, large fridge, an attached bathroom, a balcony with a view to a desolate field, and a table with personal protective equipment. Also on it are a booklet outlining the hotel's quarantine rules and a paper with a QR code guest must scan to contact the nurse daily via line. The phone rings immediately. Hello, welcome to Thailand. Did you have a good flight? Says the operator who identifies himself as Mac and insists on going through the guidebook together. Just minutes earlier, a car fitted with a protective screen driven from a barren Suwanaboom airport terminal by a man wearing what looked like a hazmat suit pulled up before the deserted hallway of an allegedly packed hotel. It all felt like a mix between Chernobyl, a prison ward, and a laboratory experiment. So yeah, this guy Lopsang wrote about his journey back into Thailand and his quarantine. Uh, and I think uh, you can read the whole story on Coconuts Bangkok. But um, long story short, it was quite the um, quite the ordeal, quite a lot of money. But I do believe I, I think he may be in quarantine now. I'm not sure, but um, mm. he made it back into Thailand, and it was no easy feat. Oof! Just reading the amount of money, like as I was reading the article, I was just like, you know, uh, converting the currency from baht to SGD. I think it was like four thousand Singaporean dollars, and I was like, huh? yeah. Yeah, but basically about a hundred thousand baht, so about mm. three thousand plus USD. And I'm not sure if that. I think that kind of includes. Um, that's not for the flights. That's really all of the mm. logistical and quarantine and testing related stuff you have to do to get back into Thailand. Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff. I don't know if I could do it. I think there's a lot of people that really want to get into Thailand, so that was one of the reasons why this story was so popular. Mm. I mean, I can't wait either, but I think I will. Just, just looking at all this. <laughs> You're not going to go through this process. Well, I don't think you can actually, unless you, you know, if we employed you in Thailand, I think you could try to enter. Well, okay, or, that's an idea. <laughs> <laughs> or you would have to try to um, get one of those long-term tourist visas that they're talking about. But I don't think they've started actually doing that mm. yet. I see. Sad. I'll wait. And yeah, our top story for the week. This one is from Singapore. But yeah, Singapore is disgusted by the abusive son slapping mummy clip, but spreads the blame. <laughs> so yeah, a teen boy's apparent assault of his own mother has royal viewers since video of it spread over the weekend. And the three-minute security camera footage posted to TikTok on Saturday has ignited fury for the behavior displayed by the teen boy, who hurls insults and slaps a woman identifying herself as mummy um, as she struggles to kind of put together an, a furniture item. And he kind of also retaliates when she refuses to give him money. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah, of course, everyone, you know, has to put their little opinions in. And this guy said, the mother must report him and send him back to where he needs to be. Where is that? But yeah, it's so painful to watch. <laughs> He's home already, man. But Yeah, dude, where, where do you want him to go? Like, is this just, <laughs> you know, the general American, go back to where you came from. Then, you know, <laughs> then you're, you're saying that to Native Americans, which is also funny. Yeah. 
But yeah, then he goes on to say, I'm glad this is all caught on camera. He definitely needs help and mom needs to be stronger to seek help. Hope this can be a good lesson to mothers out there to seek help if if need be, if their kids act like a gangster. Okay, chill out, man. Like, is this victim blaming, but on a weird level? Yeah, let's focus on the kid. Um, yeah. And he's not a kid. He's like a young teenager. He's somewhat of a kid, but um, I haven't watched the video. How, how bad is it? Have you watched it? Yeah, it's kind of bad. Like, you know, he, so the mom goes ahead to say like, um, oh, right. Okay, so the video kind of ends with a mother on on the verge of tears, screaming angrily for her son to slap her again, which he then does. Jesus. Yeah, and, and the whole time this dude is in his secondary school uniform and it looks like a Geylang Methodist secondary school uniform as well. And the school, we did reach out to the school for comment, but of course they did not respond. But yeah. Oof. He's in trouble now. Yeah, but of course it's just the general, you know, Singaporean, how to say, I don't know. It's just like we need to have conversations on mental health again. Yeah. If this is the situation here. But yeah, it's just a general lack of awareness that is, you know, so infuriating to read in these comments. Mm, because everybody's kind of blaming the mom. Yeah, kind of, yeah. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Well, anyways, not a happy story for our most popular one, but you can see why it was popular as really kind of um, explosive video of this case of basically domestic abuse in Singapore. And our guest for today is Melissa Tan from Malaysia. So Melissa is a TV host, producer, actress, climate activist, and a zero-waste advocate. And she also co-founded a social movement organization, The Green Gorilla, and regularly works with major brands and NGOs on environmental projects. So you might also recognize her from Asia's Next Time Model, Cycle 3, and The Apartment Season 7. And she also hosts and produces on Tech360.tv, a regional online tech channel. And yeah, she also is a climate reality leader trained under Al Gore in the Climate Re Reality Project and is the Earth Day Network Ambassador for Malaysia. And we talked to her about, you know, environmental concerns. What are some things we can do to be more environmentally friendly? You know, just in 2020 where everything has gone to shit, maybe we should make sure that the environment does not. Hi, Melissa. How are you? Hey, it's really good to see you guys. I'm good. Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast. Thank you for being our guest this week. Happy to be here. I hear we have lots to talk about. <laughs> we, we do. We do. Especially because, I mean, last week, uh, the WWF uh, stated that Malaysia, amongst, amongst other countries in Southeast Asia, <laughs> were amongst the highest to... Uh, consume plastic and I think the first person I thought of was you not that you consume plastic but you do just the opposite as we introduce um, you're a zero waste warrior you're an eco you have, you have so many talents so I think we just wanted our uh, listeners to kind of know about you a little bit more and also find out how we can be better better lovers of the earth that sounds fantastic um it's simpler than everyone thinks it is and I'm, I'm excited to share Awesome. Yeah. So maybe you can take us through like um, how I don't want to say like how you became a zero waste person, because I feel like that, that makes it sound like it's a fad. Um, how did you sort of like but I guess like that's probably the easiest way uh, to sort of um, start like how how, you know, did this all start for you? 
Um, yeah, I was always an environmentalist and a nature lover. Um, a lot of it stems from me just loving animals. And I knew that, you know, destruction of nature means a lot of animals would be dead. Um, and it, it all started when I was a kid. So I was always really conscious about stuff like recycling. I was like this crazy recycling kid that was always um, managing all the waste in my house, um, recycling mm. plastic, recycling paper. Um, and I grew up that way. So it kind of grew over the years. Like at some point during my teenage years, um, I was just always actively recycling plastic. But then um, when I worked, you know how we have summer jobs during yeah. like school breaks? Yes. So then everyone would go and work in a cafe. Mm -hmm. um, so then when I worked in a cafe, then I suddenly saw like, you know, those ice blended drinks where it always came in a plastic cup. Um, mm. Most of the time, we wouldn't think twice about it. We'd be like, oh, great, it's one plastic cup. I'm just going to recycle it and it's fine. Um, but because I was working at the cafe, I saw like the scale of what humankind can do. Just from that one cafe over a couple of hours, you see like the mountains of plastic waste that we create. And all of it goes into the trash because most of these things aren't recycled. So then that kind of hit me um, in a whole different way um, to think about how cumulatively humankind can like create so much chaos um yeah and then at some point uh, about three years ago i met a zero waste practitioner and uh, the owner of a zero waste store in malaysia um mm. and that kind of like it was like a light bulb moment you guys because you mean i can actually not create trash it was like this really weird moment for me where i thought i was like a super nature lover environmentalist and it just never occurred to me that I could just not do it I didn't have to buy into the system I could like life hack my way out of it and not create mm. trash to recycle in the first place so that's how it kind of all grew over the decades yeah it's a, it's a weird thing because I feel like in Asia especially um I don't want to like you know obviously like say that Asians are bad about this but like you know it's just easier I feel like to have like um, styrofoam boxes plastic cups uh, there's plastic in, on everything uh, we have so many plastic bags that we use from you know our grocery stores and whatnot like I feel like um, our waste in this area is is one of the one of the worst yeah definitely and we tend to put blinders on for a lot of things that we don't think we can control mm. like at some point everyone chose uh, straws as like the bad guy right yeah so then everyone was like super um anti-straw and they were really active in it but then they ignored the 99.9 percent .9 other plastic waste they create because they kind of assumed that oh well i can't help i can't do anything about that yeah. um so yeah it, we've chosen different different culprits over the years. Like you mentioned styrofoam boxes. Mm. Um, I remember during a kid, when I was a kid, that became one of the biggest um, culprits because it was non-recyclable. Yeah. Um, but it, it it's kind of weird how we tend to parcel these problems into smaller pieces so that it's digestible by um, the general public and then we ignore the rest. Yeah, no, no, I completely understand. There's always like uh, a passing, there's always a villain at different points. <laughs> I think like no anyone now like with a straw is probably like, oh my gosh, what are you doing? <laughs> when I feel like this, how this could is, I mean, you? how could you? But even though that's like just one minute part of the whole thing, right? Definitely.
Yeah. I mean, like being in, like, obviously we're both like in, in film production and, and summer is too. Uh, and, you know, waste in productions uh, is horrific, especially, especially here in Singapore. Every time I see like our sorry foam boxes and our um, brown paper with plastic lining and the amount of like plastic uh, forks and spoons and chopsticks, I'm always like, oh no, there's got to be a better way. Um to to handle these things so like i guess for for our listeners what i think the most important thing is that what are these like hacks that you learn that we can do easily because i think like a lot of people feel like you know i still need to go and pack food and um there is there are certain sort of like aspects of plastic use that they feel they need to do because they don't have a choice but they do right they do have a choice yeah so like the way we consume plastic is automated and we're kind of running on autopilot. So we were trained to use plastic out of convenience since we were kids. Um, plastic kind of became more popular during the 60s. Uh, it was invented more than 100 years ago, but it kind of entered mainstream public about the 1960s. Um, mm. And imagine our grandmas. Our grandmas never used and disposed things like that. But then over the years, we were trained to do that. So now what we're doing is untraining ourselves and we're just reprogramming our, our system, our way of living to one that is more sustainable, one that is more circular, one that is more focused around, around re reusables instead of disposables. And that's why I would say it isn't so complicated because once it's kind of like habit building right once you automate the habit you kind of just go on autopilot and your new autopilot would be to not create waste um so it's simple things like making sure you always have just the basics with you um where you have like your your bottle and your container but most of the time it's just choosing to opt out of disposables um everything we touch and we use has a carbon impact um and most of the things we use we don't we don't need it so even if it's things like oh you know if i happen to not have my container with me today would i still buy a takeaway sandwich no i wouldn't i probably just eat in instead you know there's all these like options for us that we kind of don't see are there because we kind of throw our hands up in the end like oh too bad like i don't have my container today um yeah and then after that it's just finding your way in your lifestyle to like clean it up one bit by bit until your entire life is zero waste so what you would say is like so do you do you because you, you always see your instagram stories and and you're always like you always have like a container or like a cup or uh, even even like uh, I think one of your recent recent um, stories was that you went to eat uh, a famous nasi lemak and that was wrapped in banana leaf if I'm not wrong and then yeah. and but instead of using plastic spoons or forks you used your hand like the simplest like <laughs> our simplest utensil it's it's so cute right it's like we it's so, it's actually super simple and it like that's there's only so many ways I can tell the story, I swear. It's like, hey guys, if you have these two things, you're kind of like sad, you know? You, <laughs> it, it's not like we have to buy our way into it or we have to like get the latest technology and the latest gadgets. The wonderful part about this is it's so low waste. It's so, um, sorry, it's so low tech. And <laughs> it's it's just the mindset that we're, we're slowly building within ourselves. Um, that is why it's so easy to buy into this. 100%. Sorry, I, I love that. I love that. You know, it's like 
it, it's it's really simple, but it was just that we can't see it. But it's like we came out of the womb and when we started eating, what do we do? We started eating with our hands. But now we're like kind of conveniently forgetting that. Yeah, it's an option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like uh, I know you mentioned your grandma and, and I feel like our, our grandparents and our parents even like they were more, I feel like eco-friendly in a way. Like my parents ate like on banana leaves, like quite constantly. My grandma certainly did all the time. And, you know, you eat with your hands and, you know, there's none of this like plastic, you know, right now, I guess if you go to a store uh, and, you know, took something for takeaway, you would have potentially like a styrofoam box for the food. You would probably get um, chopsticks in a like plastic wrapping or plastic forks or spoons. And then you would probably get a plastic bag for that. And then you would get like napkins, which you know, our whole other story. But yeah, so you actually, in, in one small meal, you have all this waste. Yeah, it's it's scary. That's just one meal by one person, not counting the millions of other people who are doing it. <laughs> no. This so just makes true. me think about like how in lockdown, I think the statistic was kind of 100 million tons of waste was generated mm. just in Circuit Breaker, I think it was, uh, in yeah. Singapore. That was kind of like the stages. No, wait, it was before the three stages of reopening the country was announced. So mm. that was like in that period alone, I think it was in April to May. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, you know, I am so afraid to see the real numbers like around right? the world. Mm. Like for lock, like during the lockdown, like 100%, like even, I mean, I was guilty of it as well because we okay. couldn't leave your home. So the only way is to get food in is either you made a risky trip to the grocery store or, <laughs> or, you know, you order food in, which I think a lot of Singaporeans did. And I think a lot of people around the world did. And that's just, you know, I could see the trash <laughs> as I'm eating it. I could see the trash. Like, so you know, here, here, here's the funny thing. People associate plastic with hygiene when that mm. isn't necessarily the case. So I remember uh, when I was chatting with my friends in Indonesia during lockdown, um, they said, oh my God, we've stopped ordering um, food deliveries because one of the COVID cases got contracted by food delivery. Uh. You know, yeah. So it's, it's not like plastic gives you hygiene. It, you know, like when we go to the grocery store, they hand you this plastic glove. But yeah. the person then touches everything with the plastic glove and yeah. that it doesn't make it cleaner whether you use your hand or a plastic glove. If you're touching everything, it's the same. So there's this misconception that disposable equals hygiene. But, you know, there that it's the way we are using it. And it doesn't mean that reusable is dirty and reuse, uh, disposable is clean. So um, that's really a good point. Like how you said people thought they were being safe by getting all the disposables in, but that could have been a, con a point of contraction at any point anyway, whether it was disposable or reusable. Mm. Mm. So true. I guess like switch gears a little bit too. I mean, you uh, obviously speak very passionately about the environment, but one of the things that you uh, produce is the conscious market and clothes swaps uh, in, in Malaysia, uh, which really sort of like um, revolves around your uh, efforts to be a sustainable liver. <laughs> can, can you maybe like tell us a little bit more about, yeah, I guess like I, I vaguely know about like sort of clothes swaps. I guess my, my clothes are always like multiple sizes larger than a normal person. So, so I can't really like clothes swap with a lot of people, but um, yeah. How, how does that work? And tell us about the conscious market. 
Oh, yeah. Um, so what I really like doing is creating engagement points for the public to be able to experience sustainable living for themselves, because I think sustainable sustainability has turned into such like a marketing thing as well. Um, it is a very important movement um, that all companies and all individuals should be going through. But what we're seeing at the surface level um, in mainstream public is a lot of um, digestible kind of campaigns that are simple for people to buy into. And the key word here is to buy into. It is used as a way to sell people more things that are branded as sustainable instead of actually rethinking how we're living our lives. Um, so um, clothes swaps and the conscious market were methods for me to engage the public in ways to take action that doesn't mm. involve spending money. Because if you spend money on more and more uh, reusables that doesn't make it more sustainable because it's the habit that you have to form not how many things you have to buy um do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely so um those were really great um experiences for myself because um through that way i got to um create great itineraries for uh, great agendas for people to um get involved in the conversation and to find out ways that they can do it for themselves because um they most people don't actually know where to look for it because uh if if i see myself like i'm really deep into this lifestyle and that's why i know all these pathways but i still receive questions like hey where can i recycle i live here and then i realize oh most people you know they're still at step one so you gotta like hold their hands through it and say hey let's go down the rabbit hole together and these are all the really great ways that you can do it and these are all the great vendors and businesses that you can support that are bringing you know circular economy and sustainability into our marketplace um, and it doesn't mean buying more things it just means reshifting how you're consuming and how you're you know going about life um, clothes swaps are a really great example for that um, because most of the time, the people that come in, they just love fashion. They don't really care about sustainability, you know, mm. um, which is awesome because those are the people I love talking to because I don't want to just keep like preaching to the crowd like, hey, we are all sustainable. We don't really need to talk more about it. What we really want to talk to, the people that we really want to talk to is the mainstream, the public um, mm. who are just taking their first steps. And most of the people that come into the clothes swap, they just love fashion. They have a lot of um, leftover clothing in their wardrobe that they're not using. And they thought, huh, okay, I mean, this sounds like a good idea. And then they come in and then they realize, wow, this is a really viable way for me to replace my entire spending in fashion. So over the, over the last two years, what I've noticed is people keep coming back and then they'll tell me things like, you know, I haven't bought anything. And every time I want or I think I need something, I'll just think, oh, wait, I'll just wait for the next swap. Why would I go and spend $100 in, mm. in, in the store when I can just wait for the next swap? And it'll be more exciting that way. That, that's really cool. Because I mean, for the longest time, I feel like I think even in, in Asian households, they're like, oh, you know, like if you're, you're passing on clothes or getting clothes, it's like, oh, it's not as like, it's not like a... I wouldn't say it's taboo, but it's always like, you know, oh, I'm the, the older the older sibling passing on the clothes to a younger sibling. So it's never, you, you need to buy like new clothes. And I feel like a lot of people, um, you know, donation of clothes and giving away of clothes was always seen as sort of a charity kind of thing. Yeah. But now it's like, you know, people are getting more 
um, you know, the more, more, I guess, like clued in that, you know, this is actually a really good way to be more sustainable, to not waste money. I think, I think that's where it is. Like, I think not wasting money and actually being careful um, about like the things that you choose. Maybe you don't love all the stuff that you have anyway. Um, that's exactly it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very cool. And like, um, so w- what are you currently working on in Malaysia? Obviously, like we haven't spoken for a while, but what uh, what's happening in KL? Uh, what are you up to? Um, and what and how's the house like sort of your I don't want to say battle, but but I guess like how is your sort of advocacy um, in the in the environmental movement in in KL? Yeah, um, I've just got I've just gotten trained as a climate reality leader about last month. So that's kind of a whole new pathway for me. I just want to bring a lot more science and data into it because um, as much as I love consuming that sort of thing, I also want to know how to make it as digestible as possible for people to understand um, mm. that everything is connected. Um, people, people sometimes it's a complicated issue. Like climate crisis is a complicated issue. And we sometimes don't see that all these things that are happening in the world, they are all connected. Like all these bad things that are happening, the stuff that's happening, well, weather, why COVID came about, why um, we're experiencing more floods and more wildfires. All of this, these are connected, but it's hard to see how all the puzzle pieces fit together. And mm. I think this is a really great way um, through the climate reality project, um, how we digest that data and weave it into a story that is understandable to the layman and i think that's the beautiful part of it so that is kind of where my next trajectory is going to be um i have ramped up on stuff like um in-person experiences like clothes swaps and whatnot i think we've all gone through that period of during lockdown and where everyone was on live all the time and there were Mm. so many workshops and i think we kind of want this in-person experience we're kind of craving for it again um and and to feel that community spirit um on in that the feel the community spirit to be able to work in the movement and and progress our country further and further um as the days go by um so that's kind of where my focus is on right now that's awesome and like obviously you're also part of the earth day network you're an ambassador for that right yeah um so that's another really great um international organization that i'm really grateful to be a part of i guess in the end it's just about collaborating and leveraging strengths from from anywhere across the world because um our problems in every country are so different but there are so many lessons that we can learn from from someone else um pilots that have been successfully implemented somewhere else and what how can we adapt that to our um situation over here and I guess like if I, so I guess like to put you on the spot a little bit, um, if I was, you know, kind of new to um, being a zero waste, um, if I, it was, it was new to being, uh, if I was new to zero waste, like what can I do today to start myself on this journey to be more sustainable and uh, being kinder to the earth? I think one thing that, I kind of like doing sometimes is just pick up the nearest object near you, the nearest object to you. It could be like a cup, a container, a t-shirt, whatever. And think about the journey that that piece of uh, that item has come to be able to be in your hands. 
So that T-shirt was something that was grown in a field, in a cotton field that required um, forests to be cut down, to be grown and to use lots of water and resources and pesticides to grow. Um, there were lots of underpaid labor that were, was involved in picking that cotton and then it gets combed and then it gets shipped to different countries to be processed and dyed and woven together. And then it would get um, in, exported to another country to be sewn into something and then it gets packed and then it gets flown into your country where it then goes into a store. I mean, if you think about the millions of miles and carbon footprint that actually went into that one piece of, um, one piece of clothing, one piece of disposable, how, how come we're using it so carelessly? So I think we have to realize what the carbon impact of each um, item we're using and how we must treat that with care and how we must treat that responsibly and ideally how we can even avoid using it at, as, at all so that we don't create that carbon impact. So the simple things you can do is immediately remove all disposables that are related to food because we might not shop for fashion or tech or anything every day but we definitely eat every day. Um, so the two simplest things you can do is bottle and container and that's it. If you have a bag on you all the time, that's perfect as well. And through that, you can eliminate like practically half of your trash every day. Um, and then after that, it slowly becomes a habit. And then you start to identify what are the other things in your life that you can um, hopefully avoid using and try and source secondhand. You can try borrowing them instead because oftentimes you don't need to own something and buy something in order to be able to enjoy the utility of it. Mm. That's so true. I mean, and I, I think that's great advice as well. I think the like to to sort of like pick something up and and know its journey or like kind of understand its journey. I think it's a great way. Like I use chapstick all the time, and I know it's like, <laughs> so so bad. It's so bad for you. I'm like looking at it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like probably like a thousand bad things like that went into this before it got to me um but yeah i mean i think i think that's about it melissa like it's uh it's uh is there anything um you want to plug um no i guess just follow me on instagram i'm at hey melissa tan and then i'll do lots of workshops and lives because i feel like malaysia <laughs> Um, where our cases are increasing again. So most of my events are shifting to now lives back again. I'm going to be sharing more tips there and more experiences with you um, because I really want to encourage everyone to start now, start today. You don't have to buy anything to buy into this. You don't have to buy anything to be able to live more sustainably and more responsibly. And trust me, it's going to make you a more happier person you know when you're in line with your values and you live that way a lot of mm. things like you just said your chapstick these things aren't good for us there's yeah. a lot of chemicals that are ingested into our body every day because of the amount of plastic we use mm. um, and this is whatever is good for the planet is actually good for you too so i just want to reassure you that you're not losing out um out of all these um, experiences or joys of living by being zero waste is actually going to help you in so many ways that you just don't know yet. And I really encourage you to start the journey. Yeah, I, I truly believe that I think being, uh, I hope so anyway, like being stuck at home and being, you know, in lockdown that people have uh, a deeper appreciation for nature and just being 
outside and also sort of like um, caring for nature, <laughs> caring for our earth. Yeah, I, I, I hope so. I hope everyone remembers the lesson that lockdown brought them and that they'll be able to carry that forward into their life. Awesome. Thank you so much, Melissa. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for chatting about everything. I think uh, this was a very uh, educational episode for us. Mm-hmm. Thanks. No, thanks, you guys. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to support Coconuts and our weird and wondrous stories, you can become a Coco Plus member at coconuts.co slash membership. Make a patron payment at coconuts.co slash patron or buy our fresh merch at the Coconuts shop at shop.coconuts.co. The Coconuts podcast delivers impactful, weird and wondrous reporting by our journalists on the ground in eight cities. Singapore, Bangkok, Hong Kong, Manila, Jakarta, Kuala Lumpur, Yangon and Bali. Listen to headline news and insightful interviews on matters large and small designed for people located in or curious about Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. The Coconuts Podcast is a Coconuts Media production. Our hosts are Summer Lee and Vim Shanmugam. Our executive producer is Byron Perry. Our production manager is Clarissa Cortez. And our editor is Rainer Lim. <laughs>